So somebody stops paying in April of 2020, you can't actually evict them for that until the moratorium ban ends two years from now. Is oh the way this approach. So a, a renter could actually live in your house as a landlord for two years, nine months, having never paid. So the question is this, how do most agents find the secrets to succeed in today's competitive real estate market, especially when the top agents are keeping those secrets to themselves? That's the question, and this podcast will give you the answer. Hi, I'm Aaron Amuchastegui, and welcome to Real Estate Rockstars. Hey, Real Estate Rockstars, this is Kelly Skevel, the guest host today with Aaron Amuchastegui, and we're going to talk about the state of the market. And Real Estate Rockstars, this is Aaron, and we are both back. Kelly has agreed to join me again for another State of the Market, where we get to talk about the news and all of the crazy stuff we've seen. It is the first week of February. We're a few days away from Valentine's Day. Kelly, if you guys don't remember, she did. She was our episode 904, a successful real estate agent up in the New York area. She also did a State of the Market with me just a few weeks ago, once last month. And on here, so I don't have to talk to myself as we get to talk about the fun news. So what's new in New York today? We are under like two or three feet of snow up here right now. So two or three feet. <laughs> yeah, we keep we keep getting hit with it. Like, you know, we got like 12 inches, then we got like another eight, and then we got a little reprieve, and now we're being hit again. This morning there was like three or four inches. So do people do real estate when there's two or two or three feet of snow on the ground? Oh yeah. Especially in this market right now, I'm still out showing houses all the time. I was oh, at a listing yeah. appointment yesterday. They are not, <laughs> the snow is not stopping anyone. I guess you guys are used to it up there. So I'm, I'm out in Austin, Texas, and it snowed for the first time in five years here, like a month or two ago. And the whole world shut down. It was like, <laughs> no one drives in it, no one, anything. It was like, it was like the quietest snow I'd ever seen because literally no one even drove their car. <laughs> and yeah. today we're seeing like a freeze outside. It's super cold. All of a sudden it went to like 20 or 30. Oh, wow. And we're getting kind of some hail and stuff. And people are like, close the schools, close <laughs> the schools. It's really bad out here. So they are. So you guys up in New York are used to it. Where I grew up in Oregon, we were always driving around in heavy snow. Yeah, but, you must be used to it too. But, yeah. But I wasn't doing real estate then. So I didn't know if, if people were like, yeah, show me the house as we, I guess there's, what do you do for inspections if like half the house is covered in snow when you're in escrow? Yeah. So the inspectors will like put a disclosure in there that they couldn't see the roof. And so they can't, they can't make any evaluation on the roof. So, and yeah, I think I'm trying to think the only other thing, if like you have bill code doors to your basement on the outside and they can't get in because the bill code doors are covered, but otherwise it's mostly just like assessing the roof. That, yeah. can, that causes an issue on inspection. And I guess you maybe they have pictures to show where the grass was or where the bark was or anything. Because they just have to guess, right, what the outside of the house looks like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is fun stuff. So today you actually got some articles together ahead of time. I have a few fun news articles uh, that I'm bringing to the state of the market. You have some that you're bringing. What is the, what's the first one you found that we're going to talk about? Yeah, so the first one is that the one about Sylvester Stallone. It was a fun one, just a fun one, um, listing his house. Yeah, I love seeing the big celebrity listings. So that one says Sylvester Stallone lists knock list a knockout mansion. I love I love it how clever they are, Realtor.com, for a heavyweight price of 110 million. Did you look into that? Did you see like what kind of house it was? 
Yeah, so it, it's like an eight bedroom, uh, eight bedroom, nine full baths, uh, three and a half, or sorry, three half baths, and it's on 21,000 square feet. 21,000 square feet. So, yeah, so now I'm looking at this views to, views to Rodeo Drive, three and a half acres down there. What a, what a crazy thing. As you get to see the pictures, the pictures aren't all that extravagant. The best part, yeah. if you look at the picture, though, is like the second or third one of the living room has all of these like artistic drawings. Of, it looks like Sylvester Stallone when he was like an early boxer. That's yeah. I wasn't uh, too impressed. Probably isn't very nice, but I wasn't too impressed with it. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> right. Giant window walls. I mean, that is a market that I really, you know, I think a lot of those high end markets, just they just throw, they, people just throw numbers at it. And there are like local real estate experts that know what happens. But I remember, you know, Michael Jackson's ranch was on the market for 100 million or hundreds of millions or something for years, maybe like 10 or 15 years oh, yeah, I think be I before it sold. And the, and some of those are like, you know, if for me, anything over two or three million is like somebody just has a ton of money. So the so when you get up to like 100, 110, someone's like, yeah, I like it. That's easy. I don't think people are financing that. But yeah, he, this is it. He sold another one in. Uh, am I going to say this right? La Quinta. Did I say that right? Yeah, you said it right. For, for three and a half million. Not that long ago. Like it was like three point five million. I think he sold it for it. Maybe I'm reading that wrong. That is a big difference. I, you know, I think. Yeah. I think the people that would, and it said Sylvester's moving because he bought a Palm Beach compound in December for 35 million bucks. Yeah. Um, so, and, uh, so Sylvester Sloan, you're going to add him to the people that are moving from California to somewhere else. And Florida is, yeah, we're getting a lot of people moving to Texas. I don't think people are moving from California to New York right now. I think people are leaving. <laughs> no. I don't, I don't think we're doing that. In New York. And vice versa, especially with the snow that you guys have. But are people moving from New York to like Florida too right now? Yeah. Tennessee. Tennessee is a big one. People are okay. moving to Texas. Um, yeah. I keep hearing for years, we've been hearing about how people are moving um, out of New York pre-pandemic. So the taxes are really I think you guys have you guys have you guys have high taxes in California too, right? Yeah, California had high income taxes. Texas yeah. has no income taxes, high property taxes. You know, there's pros and cons of every state. One thing they don't have in California, I was telling people last night, is bugs. They oh. they, you, you start to go to these other states, you you hear bugs, you see bugs, you see cockroaches, <laughs> cadis, things like that. That's just they, those don't exist in California. It's not a thing. But the I bet the person that pays 110 million is going to be a Rocky fan. But the, but listeners, if you guys want to go see that one, go check out realtor.com, search Sylvester Stallone list. You could see the house that he's selling for 110 million, and he's downsizing by buying the 35 million dollar compound in Florida instead. And I'm sure it has a boat dock where he could park his yacht and he's not going to pay. Uh, well, I don't know if Florida has income taxes, but people like Florida right now. People are, people are are loving Florida. So the so let's see what I've got. I don't have anything as cool as that, but I have two articles that I wanted to combine that are really super interesting. So one was, you know, so the uh, paper that says Washington scrambles to avoid mass eviction as as moratorium nears the end. Now, the rent and eviction moratoriums kind of keep getting extended throughout the US. And we've talked a lot on here about people being behind on rent and what we I th even think when you were on here last time we were talking about like tips and things to do when renters aren't paying. We have uh, in Texas, we have some some renters that aren't paying. We went to go look for have them apply for the stimulus that was for that. And and just last week they opened it up on January 27th. And by February 4th, all of the money was spent uh, for, the, oh, yeah. for the cities that we were. And that was quick. That was, that was, if we didn't get it filled out, 
I don't think the form ever even came online, right? They had like said like, okay, now we're accepting it, but they were using old forms. But within one week, all the money was spent. I, I made some posts on my Instagram for people to look and see kind of how much money got, got sent to their city and their state. I had a lot of people reach out and request that, but I was surprised to see how quickly at least that first run uh, got spent. I think there is still a second run from that new stimulus that'll be sent out. But if you didn't get it the first time and you're a landlord or you're a tenant, you want to apply right away because it's all going to be spent within four or five days of it going out. So this article is saying, you know, even as the number swells to end the state's eviction moratorium is up in Washington, Governor Jay Inslee extended the moratorium multiple times. Most lawmakers, lobbyists, and advocates expect March 31st will be its true end, at least at the state level. So this is one thing where they're saying, hey, we think it's going to be over and they think March 31st is going to happen. They said the staggering amount of estimated rent debt means that even $365 million in federal rent relief soon to be appropriated falls well short of what's needed. Courts will be inundated with eviction filings to the Washington Low Income Housing Alliance. And that's what we've seen in some other places, too. So it says expanding tenants' rights is necessary. This is from uh, Representative Nicole Macri in Seattle because current state law is inadequate. Our Residential Landlord Tenant Act never imagined that there'd be 200,000 renters who couldn't pay rent at the same time. And then there's people on the other side of that, too. They're, the other reason I wanted to bring this up. So right now they're saying, hey, it's going to come to an end, but they're but they're really worried there's 200,000 people will be in eviction because they haven't paid rent since March or April. And I agree with that concern. I think it's a problem. Then somebody that actually is an investor in Washington forwarded me an article from the Rental Housing Coalition that said, SB 5160, extending the governor's eviction ban for two years and permanently altering the process. So just a couple weeks ago, they were voting on this. I don't know what the results of it yet, but it was absolutely terrifying. They'd be uh, considering something as it says, Absolutely, and absolutely terrifying as an investor, as a landlord, or even as a real estate agent, because it says the 5160 would prohibit landlords from terminating or refusing to renew a lease that expires at the end of the lease. So just like, hey, you had a one-year lease at the end of the lease, you say, okay, you're moving out. You can no longer say you're moving out. It presumes that any no-cause termination notice issued to a tenant for any unpaid rent that accrued between March 1st and the end isn't valid. So March 1st, 2020. So somebody stops paying in April of 2020. You can't actually evict them for that until the moratorium ban ends two years from now. Oh way so a, a renter could actually live in your house as a landlord for two years, nine months, having never paid. And I mean, this article that got sent out. So, so if you're up in Washington, check out SB 5160, but it says it prohibits a landlord from even inquiring about considering or requiring a disclosure for you know, making sure that they have you know that, that they pay their rent, it's it says before any collection action for unpaid rent accrued, it has to be for rent before March first. You have to allow repayment plans, and you can't even reach out to them to insist that they pay rent. So you can't even, not that you can't file eviction, but they don't want you calling to say like, hey, you still haven't paid your rent. Could you imagine if something like that get that? Is that the most extreme example you've? Heard? It's the most extreme example I've heard. The repercussions of this, right? So like, so these landlords are not going to be able to make their mortgage payments, right? They're going to run out of, if they have reserves, they're going to run, run through those reserves in almost three years. And then, but then they can't, it'll be difficult for them to put it on the market and sell it because there's non-paying tenants in there for potentially another two years. I mean, so, so you're going to, there's going to be, there's going to be more foreclosures. Like it just, there's like so many far reaching uh, issues. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it seems like such an extreme 
example and an extreme plan that I can't imagine how I can't imagine how it plays out or or it works or helps people. We were in escrow to buy a house this week. We were supposed to close on Tuesday and the seller was supposed to deliver it to us vacant. And on Tuesday, they reached out and said, uh, sorry, our tenant didn't move out. They were supposed to move out last week. It was the end of their lease. They didn't move out. You know, do you want to buy it anyway? <laughs> and we were like, no. Well, first we said, well, what are they paying for rent? Because we were going to put a renter in anyway. So like, maybe this works out. Well, they were paying $800 a month in rent, but the market rent for that is $1,600. Yeah. Uh, so, so it was like, okay, we don't want them. But then it was also like scary to, to, to think like, so if, some, if a renter just isn't going to move out at the end of their lease, they decide not to move out. And the local eviction court isn't even hearing eviction cases because of all the, the moratoriums. You're like, so that's a prime example of just what you just said, right? Like somebody's going to have a really tough time even selling their property. I love to remind people, uh, I put, when I posted it on, on Instagram, I had one guy reach out and he was like, oh, my heart cries for all those landlords. It was a, like a, a real, like a cancel rent mentality. And I just said, people don't understand that most landlords are like people that are own a second house. Like yeah. most landlords aren't huge institutions. Night, like, I don't know. It's, it's, it's most of the landlords in the U.S. are individuals. And most of the houses in the U.S. that are renters are actually owned by somebody that only owns one other property. So they're yeah. not people with deep pockets. Yeah. And they don't have, they, they don't have the reserves. I mean, and even if you did plan and had reserves, there's no, I mean, who has two years, almost three years worth of reserves to pay for that? Sad. Yeah, forever. The so if you guys, if any of you guys are agents up in Washington and you're paying attention to SB fifty one sixty, reach out, message me. Let me know what's happening. What are people thinking about it? Is it totally a scare tactic, or is it a law that's going to happen? Because I think that it's going to. I think it really just going to change the market. I mean, even it's got to change resale value of anything, just because I wouldn't want to be a landlord there right now. Real estate rock stars. This is Aaron Muchastegui with a quick commercial break from our sponsor, Rent Ready. And you've heard me talking about them lately. You heard them talking about the offers. I even interviewed Ryan Barone in episode 939. So you guys can go back and listen to that to learn more about Rent Ready. But here we go. Looking to streamline your rental property finances this year, tenant management can eat up a big part of your budget. So reducing turnover and avoiding costly vacancies can save you big bucks year over year. Keep a profitable cash flow with consistently occupied units when you use RentReady. With RentReady, all you need is one software to see expiring leases, list units, screen tenants, e-sign leases, track renter's insurance, send rent reminders, and collect rent online. RentReady can help you manage your tenants, increase retention, and keep business costs low. As part of a special deal, RentReady is offering our listeners a whole year of RentReady for one buck, right? That's what I'm always talking about. One buck, that's right, one dollar, but only if you use our code. So you have to use code ROCKSTAR and sign up for RentReady's annual plan at RentReady.com. That's R-E-N-T-R-E-D-I.com. If you've got one house, five houses, or 10 houses, and you just want to check it out, I've gone and looked at it. You know, I have a lot of rentals that we own, and, and we were using five or six different software technologies. One to be able to list properties, one to be able to accept money, to create the lease in a different document. We use DocuSign for other things. We had all these different sources, but RentReady is doing it all for one. I recommend you go check it out. All right. Well, do you have anything? You have any other happy articles? Any other fun articles? What do you, what do you got? Do I have any happy? Let me see. Let's talk. Um, so this is one that I've really 
this is a subject that I've been really liking. It's the one on, um, let me, let me make sure I say it right. How, no, not that one. <laughs> Housing economy, bright spot, but regulatory affordability challenges persist. Yeah. So um, where'd that report, that report came from the NHB, the National Association of Home Builders, right? Yeah. Yep. On February 9th. So this so, one, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, so yeah, so it looks like it says housing affordability will continue to be a top concern. A lot of articles have been about that. What does this one say about affordability and what, what's going to happen? This one uh, speaks a little bit more about like the new, the, the new construction and new builds and, you know, what kind of what that's looking like. And so they had a bunch of stats in there. Actually, I guess I'll just go through it like you do. Yeah. Um, re read me what you see on there. Yeah. Let's see. So. They talk about, you know, how the, the single family homes generated strong price gains in 2020. And then it goes on to talk about, even though there was price gains, uh, while supply side pressures such as resurgent lumber prices, a shortage of buildable lots, inconsistent access to building materials and a regional skilled labor deficit foreshadow higher costs and longer build times this, this year in 2021. A changing regulatory landscape threatens to further erode housing affordability and make the tight inventory environment worse. So this is interesting to me because uh, as a real estate agent and with my buyers getting into these bidding wars and really having to go way over their comfort level and like purchase prices, I've been actually um, talking to clients where it makes sense that we're, we've been looking for vacant lots and building mm -hmm. and how all of our builders are backed up into the builders that I work with are now backed up into next year. They're scheduling into 2022 <laughs> and it's yeah. February. What a crazy thing. And how would they even, so an important part in there, it says, you know, so lumber prices alone are increasing the build at least $16,000 on a typical single family home, like typical 2000 square foot house. It's costing them an extra 16,000 to build right now, just from the cost of, just from the lumber increase. Yeah. I mean, that means if it was 30,000 lumber before now it's 40, five, you know, so that's, that affects things. And then with everything taking longer, I think that there are people that are like, let's build houses instead. I think building yeah. houses is going to be one of the answers to the housing shortage, but also as a result, having the, all the supply gone, I think there's so many reasons the supply is lacking, right? So someone's getting shipped from, you know, other countries and kind of that has slowed down everything around the U S though. Supply is really hard right now. If you order a place yeah. set for your backyard, it takes four months for it to show up. <laughs> right now we ordered a couch for our house in december and it's not supposed to be delivered till april like we totally forgot that we even oh my gosh by the time it shows up you're gonna be like whoa that's like a, a surprise everything right now is um even like so our rv that we bought an rv this year to try to when we went on the road and started interviewing yeah. people and all the replacement parts when something broke they're like they actually aren't manufacturing any replacement parts <laughs> right now so yeah really strange time definitely going to affect that supply and demand so they said hey so so demand is still high supply is still low so the de demographics look good for the 25 to 40 age group the problem is the dearth of new and existing home sales the number of existing homes for sale has never been lower why the pandemic it says you know, current inventory stands at 1.9 months supply around the U.S. There's less than a half a month of supply in Austin, Texas right now. That's houses. That's the lowest it's ever been since they started tracking it, you know, a gazillion years ago. And since the single family rents are up three and a half percent over the last year, while rents on multifamily properties are, are down three percent. So I think that also tells you that, that the people that they've seen in the pandemic, like even renters are saying, we'd rather rent a house than live in an apartment, having, having a little bit more space. 
you know, things like that. So my expectation is a single family built for rent construction market share, which is currently 4.5% will grow from five to six. An interesting thing about this. So um, a week or two ago, we've been trying to buy houses. I mean, I've been telling everybody, we like write all these offers and we wrote like 20 full price cash offers within hours of the listings coming out and we got none accepted or we got like one or two accepted, but there was a new home community that just got released on the same, uh, on the same day last week, all these different lots, five different builders and, um, and there it's rental product. It's new homes for rent and we need more okay. rental product out here. So we got into contract on every single lot in that community. We wrote full price <laughs> offers to the, every builder I love it. in that community. And the, and so we're going to own, we're going to buy the whole community. As the whole community. Yeah. Because we're writing, we're, like we're writing full price offers on Zillow and uh, or, or off listings <laughs> off realtor.com and we can't even get touched. So it's like, I think new construction, and by the time the new construction's done nine months from now, it'll probably be worth more than the yeah. so reminds You're me of right. 2005. Yeah. I mean, and that's, that's why I've been pushing uh, my clients, you know, that where it's a right fit and it's not a right fit for all of them, but if they're going into these, you know, bidding wars and they're getting outbid on properties that they still don't have, they still need some cosmetic upgrades. They're not checking all of their boxes. We might as well find a builder, you know, then there's predictability, right? They know when they, they know they can rent a house in, or an apartment until whatever date next year, you know, resign for a one year lease or whatever. And they can, even with the, for, for me, I feel like even with the increased cost to build that we're hearing about, you're still getting, you're still not overpaying, you know, cause in the, in the existing home market there, the, the cost to buy is through the roof. Yeah. It used to be that, you know, and for all you guys listening out there that hadn't considered new homes yet for your clients, it used to be that new homes would sell for 10 to 15% more than the same plan, even from a year ago. Because so if somebody if somebody moved into a new home and, and wanted to sell it a year later, it would be for a 10 to 15% discount because people wanted the new homes instead for the warranty. So there used to be this huge premium. So new homes were always 15% more. Yeah. Well, now as the market is getting so high on the, on the resale side, now new homes are getting a little bit more affordable. Now those builders will raise those prices. But one of the things in Kelly's article is that it's, it might take six, nine, 12 months for the house to get built right now. Depending yeah. on where you are, look at what prices have done over the past six or 12 months. If you think it's going to continue to stay tight, you know, your clients can get into a new construction right now. And by the time that the builder is done with it, I hand it to you, it could be worth more than they offered. Or, you know, the same with like building a house, like getting land and building, make sure that you, you know, get that contractor locked up soon or <laughs> tied up. Because and people are like, well, I don't want to wait next year to build. And you're like, well, like it's, I don't see anything that's going to change the supply dramatically where, you know, this part of the business is, I, I don't think there's also going to be a bunch of supply. So get on the list, start checking out new homes, even though they are going to cost you more. I guess it's not too surprising. The prices have gone up that much, but that is, uh, is really interesting. So let's see what else I got. I got, so New York city, Man, I feel like I've been harping on New York City and San Francisco lately, but I've also interviewed several people, several agents from both New York City and San Francisco. One recently that was like, hey, New York City's going to come back. He lives downtown. He loves it. The, you know, and he's, he's confident with that. But two articles that came out in Bloomberg, the one says on February 8th, rents slide in New York City and San Francisco while cheaper cities surge. So kind of in line with your last article. And then New York City apartment landlords getting burned in gentrification crash. Now, that one, I think, is going to be pretty interesting. So really quickly, rent slide in New York City, San Francisco, while cheaper cities surge. 
Flexible work policies have given Americans permissions, permission to move, driving up apartment rents in suburbs and lower cost cities and pushing landlords to slash prices in New York and San Francisco. We've talked about this a bunch. Like people, San Francisco, New York used to be really expensive to live in. People needed to, you know, workers especially needed to live close to their jobs. Now they can work from home. Why wouldn't they move to a house? And so we're seeing apartment prices go down, single family rent prices go up. Rents fell 22%. So let me see over this time frame first. So it says rents fell 22% in San Francisco, 16% in New York, and 9% in Boston. It's not saying if that's year over year or month over month, but I know a 22% rent fall, even if it's year over year, is not good. They climbed 6% in Memphis, Tennessee, 5% in Phoenix. We're seeing rents increase on average 10 to 11% year over year right now in Texas. So when the renewals are coming up, a lot of the rents are 10 to 11% higher than they were the year prior. So big city rent slides, San Francisco, uh, San Jose, and New York getting the biggest decreases. Boston, it's, it's down a little bit. So rent is 9% cheaper this year in Boston. It's only 6% cheaper in Seattle which that's kind of a surprise to me because of all the, the craziness of uh, Seattle's been in the news for this year. And then a related thing. So New York apartment investors suddenly waist deep in distress. By December, they were behind on $395 million of debt-backed mortgage bonds, almost 150 times the level a year earlier. Uh, tenants in rent-stabilized units owe at least $1 billion in rent, and wealthier ones are fleeing the city, leaving behind vacancies and pushing newly built luxury towers into foreclosure. Ah, so that's the part about gentrification is the anything that was like, imagine that being under construction on some of that giant stuff downtown. Yeah. Have you guys talked about that at all out, th out there where you are? Not really. We're so far removed uh, where we are from, from the city and we don't have, there's like a couple builders that, you know, do big, big projects here, but they, they, none of them were in the middle of a build. Some are just getting ready to get some off. And I know that they put those builds off to see how things, you know, to see what happens in the pandemic. But no, we haven't really talked about that much out here. Yeah, you know, and, and I think what it's really talking about is these super high-end condos and apartments, ones that are built for, you know, luxury, where they were, you know, they had one bedroom, one bedroom apartments for 2,500 bucks, uh, 2,500 bucks a month, um, all these different uh, deals going on. And a lot of them are in default right now, $46 million mortgage in default on, uh, on a big building, all sorts of stuff. This reminds me of, in 2007, 2008, last housing crash, the in Las Vegas had a few giant buildings that were you know almost done with construction that got foreclosed on, and they were about to be like the biggest luxury buildings ever, and then they ended up getting foreclosed on, and you know a few years ago they got resold, and now they're getting finished, and now they're getting occupied, and they're great real estate, but they literally sat for like 10, 11 years wow. with nothing going on, and. I wonder what might happen because the it, it's those are those are a few of those assets that feel like there's no short term solution because they were pro forma to be a really high end rent and now it's like so so do they spend the money to finish these things they spend the five ten twenty million dollars to finish these things only to have them be ten or twenty percent occupied or do you sit and wait and have this giant building sitting and waiting the one in Vegas because it was like exposed to the weather for so long like. It like was like sinking and other like it, it became more construction after the fact. But I've only seen that the only one I can really think of from the last crash that that happened was in uh, was in Las Vegas. And it was a super, super interesting deal. I, I can't think of can you get any others from past stuff where you've seen like a giant hotel or something crash? 
No, not we're such a small like I'm I'm in such a small town. <laughs> well, I never I've, I've never lived in Las Vegas either, but I'm fascinated by some of those big ones. So what else do you have for so what, what's your next one? I think you had something about uh, Houston Houston construction. Yes, yeah, that's the one about warehouse. Let me see. Let me get my thing back up here. Here we are. The Wall Street Journal article the uh, came out February 9th. Yeah. So this one, yeah, this one is uh, says Houston warehouse construction risks creating glut. And this one talks about how a building surge for such facilities in the Texas city over the past three years is driving vacancies up and rents down about 8.5 million square feet of new space warehouse space was built just in the fourth quarter of last year. Yeah. Talk about the timing on that. So it said rush to build during the e-commerce boom is now leading to an oversupply in Houston. So it was kind of like when COVID first hit, I think a lot of people talked about Texas was going to benefit with, you know, people bringing labor back to the U.S. instead of outsourcing uh, because of worries that uh, the pandemic may have on these other cities that don't really have. So in the U.S., for example, people can work from home. Everybody has Internet from home uh, in some in a lot of common places where they're outsourced, you know, Philippines and India. Not everyone that is a great worker has Internet at home, has availability. to. So there was a lot of talk about a lot of those jobs were going to move out to Houston. I remember I saw several podcasts on it back in March and April. And so then they kept building. They kept building. You know, so the they've been building so much construction out there. That's like the only that's like one, one of the few sad spots in real estate right now. Right. Like the. So, Vacancy is going up. Yeah. So we've, we've been talking about, you know, rentals in San Francisco, rentals in New York, but it's remembering on the commercial side, the commercial side pretty much nationwide is struggling and warehouses are struggling too. It's interesting. Their plan was, it says distribution centers for online retail, you know, have been the, the recent stars of the commercial private market, but then there's Houston. And so you see like all these like last mile Amazon facilities getting up, like a whole bunch of things that people are doing. Uh, that's like great real estate right now. Imagine having Amazon as a tenant, yeah. except, for, except for they'd probably just out negotiate me on, every, <laughs> on everything. They would just keep going. We're just not going to, we're just not going to pay this we're month. Gonna and, yeah. we're, and we're going to be like, or, or we're going to shut off your deliveries at your house. I'm like, all right, it's fine. It's fine. You're necessary evil. You can do whatever you want. But, but Houston, yeah. Uh, the it's, it's really interesting, such a hit there, you know? And so there's people from out of state, you know, looking into the Houston market, but now they're talking about kind of buying that warehouse and distribution as a distress. A lot of construction happening in Texas. There's you know, there's SpaceX stuff. There's a lot of there's a lot of uh, companies moving here from out of state, but I don't think they're they're moving to Houston. And I don't see anything in the news that's going to be changing that. You know, listeners, as always, if you guys know a secret, if you know something that's going on in Houston that will you know change that, um, but right now it's definitely standing out as one of the. One of the few places where warehouse construction is slacking. This article is specifically saying, hey, warehouse construction around the U.S. is doing great because of tenants like Amazon. But in Houston, it's doing the opposite and yeah. vacancies are going up and it's losing value. That is, that's really interesting. My last funny one. I shouldn't say funny with this, but the last thing that stuck out to me, I couldn't believe it was an Inman article. It, I had to take a second, a second look at it. And then it said, one in five criminally charged capital rioters have faced foreclosure. So the, I mean, I don't know how many people are actually getting charged for the capital riots. The, maybe this article, it says 125 defendants on Wednesday. So Washington Post took the 125 defendants that have been charged with the capital riots. I don't know, there's, I don't know how many thousands of people there. So they didn't get very many of them 
or they didn't choose to go after very many of them. But it said one in five is in bankruptcy or foreclosure. And, you know, they went through to kind of try to see that. So I thought that was that was interesting because if nothing else, it talks about really what people are like, what people are going through. And some people are wondering why people got so passionate and what people are out there. And the other side of it is, I mean, I definitely agree with eviction laws and foreclosure laws. I think they're there for a reason and they create stability. But the pain of being in foreclosure, the pain of being in eviction, I, I couldn't imagine a greater stress that's also placed on someone. And, the, and it sounds like it's really, and, that, and, that, and I think that that was part of, part of what they've happened, especially what the Post is saying and what Inman saw. The, uh, what do you think about that? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's sad, right? But it, it, I agree with you. It makes sense. Like our emotions, when we're under that kind of stress, that kind of financial stress, what we do with our emotions and how we react. And then with the, the news you consume and you know what I mean? It all just kind of feeds on itself. And yeah, it's, I, it makes me kind of sad. Yeah. People should listen to real estate rock stars radio instead of, uh, instead of the news. Cause we do that. We do like the, we, well, we do the real news. People say I'm a little biased about stuff, but it's, but I think my bias changes on a weekly basis. So the good, the good thing is I ch- it changed my mind a lot. So if you want to get advice from me, don't worry. I won't stay one way too much. I like, I like, I really like to pivot. My idea is 2020 was the, my biggest year of pivot and the, uh, you know, and maybe I'm in a couple months ago, I'm like, the market's about to crash. And then the last month we're like, let's buy everything we can. Cause I think we've got another year of this. So we'll see, we'll see if I'm right or not. But, but man, I think it would be an interesting article for them to look at those 125. I bet there's way more to the story of the people that were there too, if they went into how many people are on unemployment right now. Yeah. Or, or even just crimes on a national basis right now of crimes that are happening. How many of them are on unemployment? How many of them are facing foreclosure? The, the biggest catastrophe to me has still been that there's plenty of people that want to work and those jobs are shut down permanently. You know, God bless my, my friends in Northern California. I'm good to fly back and see them this weekend. But they are, but they still aren't eating inside at restaurants. And the, I mean, in New York, you're obviously, where you are, you can't eat outside right now. You'd be under three foot of snow. Oh, they, they made like cabanas. Some are. So some, some places we can eat inside, but some places have these cabanas put up with heaters in them. And I'm like, I, I'm get so cold. I'm like that. I know that thing still has to be like 50 degrees at best. <laughs> Isn't that it, a, a friend of mine was at the Ritz Carlton up in like uh it's like East California. It's up by this, uh, the ski lodge. So it's like on North star and he's there for his anniversary. So the shout out for you, Tyler. And he shows the picture and they're like eating outside in like 30 degrees under a heater. And they're like, can look into the window and see this empty dining room. <laughs> and they're the only ones there. And you just go like, Oh man. So there is, that's, you know, I still think that's the biggest tragedy over the last year is there are still a, just a ton of people that are suffering and a ton of people that are struggling because their jobs don't exist right now. Yeah. And it's, and it's really tough to go pivot and find another job when every month you're told next month, it'll be back to normal. So yeah. the, at least, you know, you know, when people know like, Hey, your industry is, is shot, they're going to pivot. They're going to go find other things. Lots of good service industry workers that should be joining your real estate teams out there listeners. So the, if you haven't started going and asking about your, the, you know, the people that used to be your favorite restaurant server that aren't there anymore, cause they're out of work, go find them. 
go find them on LinkedIn or go find them on Facebook. See if they want to join, uh, join your real estate team because there are some prime candidates that would really crush it in real estate that also need it right now. So that is, Kelly, it's awesome to have you on here. Do you, did you have any other articles? Did we have one more that I missed? I had one more. Do you want, have time for it? You want to know? Yeah. Yeah. Knock it out. What is that one? So that one's the commercial. Oh boy. Here we go again. I keep losing. So this one is. It's, a For, it's the Forbes article. It says how the pandemic continues to, yes, to affect the, the commercial real estate market from, from Rob Capital. Yes, that's the one. So this one talks about actually office space. So still the commercial real estate, but this is in the office with the office space. And that the demand for space has been impacted by social distancing, shutdowns, quarantine, playoffs, remote work. And as a result for commercial real estate has changed dramatically. So yeah, they're talking about like, there's still a demand, but, but whereas they were looking before for spaces with gyms, lounge areas, and meeting rooms, now the demand is for good indoor air quality, touchless technologies, appropriate distancing between office cubicles. And some businesses are going for a blended remote and in-office model. So I thought that was interesting that the demand is still out there for commercial real estate office, but they've just, like you were just saying, they just have to pivot. Right. Like prices are down. So they started the article saying, is it a good time to invest? And you look at that and you go, maybe, but one <laughs> of the, like, so in one, in one sense, I personally believe that, yeah, commercial real estate's going to come back in a lot of places, maybe not everywhere, but it's going to come back. But a guy that I interviewed, uh, Ari from Austin, I interviewed him a couple weeks ago and he's a commercial developer and everything's changing. Right. So they're making it to where the elevators don't have buttons that the offices now have, windows that you can open and get fresh air in that used to be like a danger <laughs> because someone was going to fall out a window and now and now they're like well they want to make sure that you can open a window on the hundredth on the hundredth floor and then the other side of that we're like more social distancing so, so it's like so maybe people are going to come back to an office but and they need less space because of less employees or because of working from home but they need more space per employee so they might not be saving money. You, know, you see what I'm saying? So like for businesses to come back, they're like, hey, maybe they, if all of their employees were going to come back, they would need two or three times the square footage they had before to get those extra amenities, the, the touchless amenities. I bet there will be a business in people buying some of the old commercial stuff and retrofitting them for this sort of thing, for the social distancing and the touchless. But man, I, I don't know if it's just a personal thought, but I hope that in three years, we're not so like. I, I am not stressed to get on a busy elevator with people or even, or if I should be, or, or I should, be. I don't want that to be forever. I know there was a time when, when we could fit 30 people in an elevator and it, you know, and it stunk and was uncomfortable, but it wasn't like uh, we were going to, that it was like a, a health hazard. I just, I, someday I hope things are somewhat normal again. I don't really, I don't really like, I don't really want to accept that offices are going to be totally changed for the future. Although I'm seeing that they are, it, makes, yeah. it just makes me a little sad personally. Yeah. I, uh, I agree that, yeah, the, all the changes are, it's just a lot to take in. It's but, but the, but the quick pivots, right. The people that are smart enough to say, what do we want next? Those will be the first commercial buildings to fill up again. The yeah. ones that say like the ones that are catering to the new normal, whatever, whatever that word is, the, we will see Kelly, how's your, so we're almost out of time on our state of the market, but let's jump to, so how is your, how's your business going now in the last month? Have you been, so it's three feet of snow. You're showing buyers. Do you have a lot of stuff in escrow right now? A lot of, a lot of clients needing stuff. Oh my gosh. It's crazy. It, it like January 1st hit and every, and every, all the buyers came out and they were like, we're ready to go. And of course there's no inventory. 
you know, normally in the winter, we're not, we're not seeing multi, multi offer situations. We're not seeing bidding wars and it's already happening. Um, so yeah, it's, yeah. it's going to be another fun year. <laughs> yeah. I'd be, I used, I, I remember in March talking to some people that said, well, usually the winter time, like in, in like Boston area, like usually the winter time, real estate's really slow, but you know, so we'll just stay indoors till then. And we'll just expect, you know, they're like, this is just like winter. They were kind of, they were like, we're kind of used to the market getting shut down a couple months a year and it'll be fine. And now it's like, people are pushing right through it. Well, yeah. Kelly Scavel, the, from New York, the, thank you for coming on and talking to me again today. Real estate rock stars. Thank you for listening. And Kelly, I can't wait to have you back on again. Thanks for being yes, here. Thank you, Aaron. I always love chatting with you. All right. Talk to you later. All right, real estate rock stars. This is Aaron Muchastegui jumping in again to thank you for listening to the show. Hopefully you guys loved listening to that one. And I wanna make sure that you know about all of the extra resources that we have. And also we need your help. They say podcasts are free. You get to listen to podcasts for free. But what is the cost of that podcast? I would say if I could beg you to pay anything for that podcast, I would say the cost of the podcast is going and giving a review. So whether you download it on Google or Apple or YouTube or anywhere else, please go give us a review. Say what you liked, what you didn't like. It helps us get better guests. The more reviews, the higher we get in the rankings. Right now, we are the biggest podcast out there for real estate agents. And we want to keep that spot because we know there's lots of podcasts out there. So go give us a review. Also, be sure to go to hybendigital.com. If you liked any of the resources that those real estate agents talked about, we've got a huge video vault of those resources for free. Every punny that comes on the podcast that we interview, they give us something that helps them get their deals or helps them work with their clients. And we put that in the toolbox in our vault for you. So go to hybendigital.com and you can get it. If you're looking for real estate education, go to rebusuniversity.com. We have all sorts of courses in there to help agents succeed in real estate how to get the listing how to negotiate deals you know how to become an investor all sorts of different stuff rebusuniversity.com and if you want to chat with me go find me on instagram if you come find me on instagram you can send me messages tell me what you want to hear tell me what you liked what you didn't like we try to put a bunch of content out there too you can find me in two different places it's at rerockstars.com for our real estate rockstars page or at erinamuchastegui.com for my personal Instagram page where I can chat with you about all sorts of different things. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again soon. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.